and welcome to episode 12 of Whiskey Talk from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. I'm Richard Goslin, editor of the Society's members magazine, Unfiltered. As we continue our existence of social distancing, and in my case working from home after a last visit to the vaults to grab my laptop, we sometimes need to be reminded that for many people, life is carrying on, just not with any sense of normality. It's certainly a strange time to be launching a new distillery, but that's the case with the Bonington Distillery, not far around the corner from the vaults in Leith. Bonington is owned by John Crabby and Company, a famous name in the whisky world that's been resurrected by parent company Halewood International. I visited the site for a feature in Unfiltered in the middle of 2018, when it was just an empty shell, and was given a tour by Managing Director David Brown. I gave him a call this week to catch up on developments and to find out more about the distillery's challenging birth and everything that's happened since our previous meeting. Apologies in advance for the quality of the audio. Working from home without the required technology has its limits, I'm afraid. So I'm fortunate to catch up with David Brown, who's the managing director of the John Crabby Company, who are behind the new Bonington distillery, not far from us uh, in Leith, just, just around the corner from the vaults, really. And uh, I, I, was, I, I visited you, David, uh, I think it was in the middle of 2018, where we toured around uh, an, an empty shell of a building in Leith, and uh, it, you know there was a lot of space, but there wasn't much in it, and uh, it, it was hard to envision how it was going to come together at the distillery at that point, and I've not seen it since. So just give me a kind of update of where we are uh, two, and a, two and a half years on. Yes, yes. Uh, well, a lot's happened in two and a half years, uh, I have to say. Uh, if I go back to the, the point at which we, we, we met and what were on the site, um, what I didn't know at the time was that we were about to find some very significant archaeological finds on the site. And the ramifications of that meant that the, the distillery project probably took nearly a year longer to complete than uh, it was intended to do. Uh, we are now complete and the distillery is up and running. But if I maybe go back to uh, you a little bit of a chronological walkthrough of what's happened since we since we spoke, that uh, that site, as you say, was a series of derelict buildings in Leith, uh, not down at the picturesque shore end of things, but actually in, in an area called Bonington, which many people will know is slightly inland, uh, but actually very close to where the original uh, John Crabby Distillery was, and uh, that was actually in Great Junction Street, a place called Yardheads, which is why uh, one of our um, one of our bottlings, um, independent bottlings, is called Yardhead. Uh, so, um, but the but the site is is very close, as I say, to the original site, as close as we could realistically get, because a lot of the property around that area has now been turned into flats. All the old bonds are still in place around us, so it's rather nice. We've got a um, some old buildings with a with a more modern twist to them now, uh, and we are as close as I said to 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 the to the original home of uh, John Crabby. Now we found, uh, rather, the archaeologists found uh, a number of interesting things on our site. Uh, the very first thing we found out was that uh, there had been a distillery on this site, which I have to confess, when we bought the site, uh, we didn't we didn't appreciate. Uh, this this actually dates back to the late 1700s, and mm-hmm. uh, so it's, it's rather nice to know that, that we're actually 
carrying on a tradition that started um, actually before John Crabby was even born, uh, which is which is rather nice. Um, and during the excavation, they found a couple of the tops of barrels or bits of them uh, fairly, fairly well decomposed. But uh, because of the, the type of soil there, they'd actually been preserved better than most of the archaeologists would have expected. So that was a rather nice find. Yeah. The main find, however, on the site was something called Bonington House. Uh, this is uh, known as the Lost Mansion of Edinburgh. Okay. I have to say, as somebody who's lived in Edinburgh all my life, uh, 60 years, I didn't know we'd lost the mansion, um, but there you go, <laughs> we, we did. We, it was uh, actually an 11th century building, and uh, it was it was rebuilt a few times and destroyed a few times uh, during um, during the history. Uh, and um, and uh, the good news, obviously, <laughs> they found the lost mansion uh, of Edinburgh, but the bad news is it was under my floor. So okay. uh, what that meant was all work had to stop on the site whilst the archaeologists poured over this. Uh, they, they, they unearthed the various other things. There was also an old uh, bronze foundry on the site, uh, huge, huge brickworks, uh, all of which had just been buried. And we, we found all the original furnaces still just buried underground. Um, and also there was uh, remnants of something called the Siege of Leith, which was basically when the French occupied uh, Leith in Edinburgh for, I believe, uh, up to 13 years. It wasn't just a, a brief visit from the French. Mm-hmm. They, they occupied it, which is, explains why there's a lot of references to to, to France uh, you know, around Leith and actually around Edinburgh as well. Essentially, they, the French, the border between... Well, France and and uh, and uh, what is now um, Northern Scotland, I guess. The, the, it was the English who were occupying it. They, it was the Water of Leith, and they all just camped on either side of the Water of Leith and uh, stared at each other for a few years. There wasn't a massive battle, which is why it's not terribly well known about. I have to say, I didn't know about the Siege of Leith, but if people are interested, they can Google it, and it's quite an interesting mm-hmm. you know, piece of history in its, in its own right. But uh, So you know, going back to you know, what, what's happened since, obviously, that, that the archaeological uh, finds were very significant indeed. In fact, the, the Council archaeologists describe them as the three most significant finds in recent times in Edinburgh. We've got to, as part of our planning permissions, we've got to create a small area, a small shrine, if you like, the Bonington House in in the visitor centre when we build it. And um, we were allowed to, to bring to the surface uh, several parts of the original Bonington House, uh, mainly stones, and uh, that is to be rebuilt by uh, artisan builders uh, in the visitor centre. I think an artisan builder is just a, a normal builder that charges twice, twice. twice. <laughs> I guess we'll see when we, when we, uh, when we have it built. So you know, it's, a, it's a lovely uh, history for for the for the building and um, and and obviously for the distillery. So people when they come to visit, they like to know a little bit about the provenance. And uh, on that, actually, another thing um, which this delay did uh, allow us certain things and and a little bit more breathing time to actually think about stuff. And we discovered that there had been uh, a well um, very, very close to where we are, just you know, just a few yards down the road, uh, which which had to service the original distillery. So we decided that what we would do is take a risk, and it is a risk with these things, and sink a borehole mm-hmm. uh, to see whether we could uh, tap into the aquifer 
uh, in Edinburgh. You, you'll know, I'm sure, there's a long uh, history of brewing and distilling, of course, in Edinburgh. Uh, but there are lots and lots of breweries because the aquifer in Edinburgh is is, is very, very good um, because of the volcanic rock. Uh, I think at one point there were something like 60 breweries in Edinburgh taking water from this aquifer. So we decided to see whether we could tap into it, and we got lucky. Uh, I'm, very, I'm happy to say on our first attempt, and uh, this was like a geezer when we actually tapped into it, I guess. No, nobody's taking water from it anymore, so uh, we're the only people doing that. So uh, what, what's great is we've now got our own water source on site, uh, which means, well, what, what it saves us quite a lot of money, uh, mm-hmm. but also, too, it gives us uh, a, a source of, of pure water. Um, CEPA came along and tested it and uh, said, really, all you need is a filter to stop the particles um, going into the into the equipment. Otherwise, it's it's absolutely safe to drink. It's probably a thousand years old. Uh, so uh, that's going to be a nice a nice um, dimension to it. We're, so we're now using, you know, <laughs> water from our own site uh, yeah. in the production process and, uh, for our whiskey, which again is a, just we're a lovely a lovely thing. And actually, so how long did this water? How long did the delays cost you then, David, in terms of it sounds like quite a series of discoveries? Yeah, it's, it's hard to even get the words out, but yeah, nearly a year um, it, it cost us. Um, despite that, you know, we, we, we actually sort of went on site in anger um, in uh, well, effectively, just yeah, just a year ago uh, in January uh, was when when the bulldozers moved in to start actually the construction phase. Obviously, you know, the, the, there'd been some dismantling of the buildings and, and, and lots of digging of holes, mainly for archaeological purposes, because they had to satisfy themselves that they had found everything they needed to find on the site before we could start digging anything like digging drains or pouring concrete or putting up steelwork. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so. You could say this, despite the delay, you know, we actually managed to build a distillery in um, a year uh, from from scratch, which you know, <laughs> I think is still pretty good going. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so we you know, we've sort of gone from a hole in the ground to a fully functioning distillery, uh, and we, we we had it completed actually in December. Um, and obviously, we've been waiting for uh, the permissions to come through, and uh, obviously to get the. Um, to, to get the uh, equipment commissioned as well. So but yeah. we, you know, we were ready, really at the start of this year. So, yeah. So give me an overview of what it looks like now. I've not been fortunate enough to yeah. visit it since you, since you finished, but, uh, you know, I, I remember you had a, a good, certainly a good space. Uh, yeah, so so give, right. give me an overview. I think a lot of people are quite surprised. We're in a cul-de-sac in a kind of, a back street, uh, a small industrial estate in, in Bowling Green Street, uh, just off Bowling Green Street, in a street called Graham Street in Leith. Uh, it, you know, so you come down uh, a street that's a cobbled street, and um, you, you, it doesn't look like you, you know, there's much really there. There's a, there's a big gate at the end, and beyond that gate is our site. So when you come through the gate, I think most people, uh, well, most people's reaction is, wow. Uh, <laughs> Wasn't expecting that because it it opens right out uh, into a big, a uh, big sort of triangular site, and uh, we've got a very large yard, um, all concreted over, and uh, we've got a, a really nice old uh, wooden cooperage shed to our left hand side, which houses our equipment for our borehole and the filters and so on that are applied to that. And then what we've got is um, two very large grain silos uh, at the very far end, uh, and essentially the the distillery is laid out in a, in a linear fashion as most distilleries are, with the you know 
great grain at one end and uh, and cask filling at the other end. Uh, so it's quite easy to follow the production process. Mm-hmm. We had to um, we had to work within the confines of the original building. There were a couple of buildings which were just falling down and, and they couldn't be saved. But we we saved the actual uh, two of the, the main buildings that were on the site. What that meant was that uh, we had to work within a fairly narrow footprint for our distilling hall. So what people will see when they come down and visit us is that we've got a very tall building and uh, the, the stills are tall and uh, all the um, washbacks are tall. So it's got a sort of, kind of cathedral look to it, I suppose you could say, mm-hmm. um, uh, which I guess it makes it look quite impressive with all these you know, shiny stainless steel and copper vessels in there. Um, we also decided... Um, when we were we had a little bit of time to think about it, that we wanted, we always wanted to increase our production. There was always we planned a phase two to put in another pair of stills, and this actually gave us the opportunity to actually bring that forward and just do phase one and two at the same time. Fortunately, we had ordered a, a larger mash tun than we needed because we'd always planned to do this uh, phase two, and you don't want to be changing your mash tun, so we'd, we'd actually ordered a larger mash tun um, anyway. Uh, so we got a two and a half ton mash, um, and we were able to, um, thankfully, use the, the stills that we'd ordered elsewhere in the business, and, uh, and we, we created two two larger stills for, for this, um, which was more than doubled our, our output. And yeah, because you planned to start with one pair of stills, but so you were in both both pairs. Well, we actually did it slightly differently. Yeah, we did it slightly differently in the end. What we did was instead of putting in four stills, we used the two that we were going to have uh, in another part of the hill of business and we ordered new stills because the yeah. timeline we had was so long that we were able to, uh, with the help of uh, the guys at Space Eye Copper, was to uh, get two new stills made you know, to, from scratch and to, to, to our design, uh, which, which you know, Mark uh, Watson, who is our uh, head distiller, uh, sat down with our, our, our team at Allen Associates and, and, and drew up the stills that, that we wanted to create the spirit that we that we wanted, which we can talk about in a few minutes. But uh, essentially, what uh, what that did was it gave it gave us a a very flexible distillery, you know, in terms of the spirit style and character that we can produce. We can produce absolutely anything, um, and um, and the fact we can even change the character of the spirit mid distillation should should we want to do that. But I'll, mm-hmm. I'll let Mark maybe explain the dis- the nuances of the distilling equipment better. He, you know, he's a distiller; he knows that stuff better than I do. Uh, but you know, to answer your question about you know, what we what people could expect to see, uh, essentially what we've got is a is a long and tall. Uh, distilling hall and then we've got another building of, of about the same size which will be our visitors center and obviously our offices as well with a shop and so on and what we've done is we've created a, a massive opening uh, so that the when visitors come they will be able to see through an enormous window into the into the distilling hall and uh, be able to take pictures which obviously some people um, you know like to take photographs because of the potential for uh, uh, Sparks. Um, obviously, we've got a great big window there, so there's no problem with that at all. People can take as many photographs as they like. So that'll be that'll be for the future. Obviously, with things you know, as they are, the visitor centre uh, construction is on hold. It's just a shell at the moment, and you know that probably will be a, a project that will be pushed into 2021 now um, because of everything that's happening. Uh, so the final part of the distillery is is the uh, cask fill area, um, something which I've been working in myself. Uh, for the first casks 
um, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, that was pretty exciting. I'll have a fit them all it's all hands to the pump. So the guys are busy distilling away, and um, the, the, <laughs> the job I've been trusted with is filling the cask, which I have to say is very, very cathartic in these uh, troubled times, uh, just standing there and uh, filling whiskey into into casks um, and it's a wonderful smell I go home with every night on my clothes uh, yeah. so I'm perfectly happy doing that I could see myself doing that for many years to come well, it's a nice time to think about the future and it's something it you're doing now which will pay dividends in the future yeah it, it is and you can't help but think when you're filling these casks especially some of these early casks you know cask, cask number one that you're thinking well I want you know when this whiskey is actually consumed, you know there's a good chance I won't even be, you know, will be alive. Um, I, I wonder what will have happened in history, you know, between between you know me putting the bung in this cask and and, and it being disgorged and, and and put into bottles. It's uh, yeah. you know that's the thing about whiskey, isn't it? It's, it takes a lot of there's a lot of history uh, attached to it. Uh, we we recently bottled a 50 year old single malt um, uh, and then one of our independent bottlings, and I uh, you know started to think about what's happened in the last 50 years because I can I can remember I can remember all of that yeah. uh, and uh, being 60 so it was kind of nice so I, I'm thinking to myself well I wonder if this is bottled as a 50 year old say what you know, what will have happened in the next 50 years certainly we couldn't have expected uh, I don't think we could have expected what's going on just now so yeah. we're filling casks and it, it, it's, it's really quite fun um, one of the things that I think you and I spoke about was uh, our wood strategy yeah. um, and our Maybe if you like, I can touch on that just now. Um, yeah, no, you can tell us all about it, David. So, so um, Cravi, as many people will know, has uh, you know, it's, it's a long history. I mean, it's uh, 218 years the businesses have been going. Um, it's fair to say not 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 all that time in whiskey. John Cravi was one of the real pioneers of Scotch whiskey. He and Andrew Usher uh, really pushed the boundaries back in the uh, in the 1800s. Uh, you know, they created the the, the um, the North British Distillery down, uh, you know, in, in Leith, in, in uh, Gorgie, uh, in Edinburgh, and also, uh, you know, he was an independent bottler. He was a blender. He, he did all sorts of things. And one of the things that uh, really fascinated us in when we were going through the archive, we're very fortunate that the archive uh, has been kept all these years. So we've got two hundred years worth of history we've got all the old ledgers uh, in his own handwriting we can see where he bought whiskey what he did with the whiskey we can sort we can see where he you know he produced his own whiskey both in uh, Leith and in Haddington actually um, and uh, you know it's a fascinating story uh, and the crappy name has continued you know since since his time in in various iterations, um, the Cravi's Green Ginger Wine is the only thread really that's run the entire 218 years of the business. And uh, the, so ginger and spices and things have always been part of the the the, the Krabi history. His wife actually made this Green Ginger Wine, uh, which created the ginger beer, which created the money to uh, to allow us to do this distillery. So it's all thanks to Mrs. Krabi and her Green Ginger wine that we even got a distillery so we thought it would be rather uh, appropriate to you know use some of the uh, casks that are used for ginger steep uh, to to um to, to age some of our whiskey in. 
Um, so we've got that. We've, we, wine is our other area of focus. Um, Mark has some fantastic contacts. Probably better not say too much about that because I think he wants to uh, give, give all our secrets away. But uh, there's um, some really, really interesting wine casks that we are filling just now. Um, and of course, we're doing the usual bourbon and sherry, uh, as you would expect um, you know, from, from any distillery. But I think you know we're, we're you know we, we need to focus and have a have a you know have a have a range which is you know, we can have some consistency within our, our whiskey, but also what we want to do is lay down some really interesting um, whiskey and interesting wood, and uh, and that for us is going to be uh, some of the fun parts of it. I think and, uh, in in hopefully not not too many years uh, I will be able to uh, try. Try a dram or two of these with you, and well, you can tell me whether you're the yeah. Well, I, mean, you, I, I think your plan was to to look at doing some fairly early releases. Is that right? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, I mean, w- one of the things that we've really noticed is, um, yeah, you know, I've, I've been in the whiskey business a long time, um, but for how like the neck uh, back in the day when we had Lafroig and Glendronach and. Scapa and a number of other, you know, distilleries, and uh, you know, so and I've watched, you know, what's happened, you know, over the years and how things have changed and tastes have changed, you know, even within single malt, tastes have changed, and uh, you know, what, one of the things that would have been an anathema to me, uh, you know, thirty, forty years ago would be, uh, you know, drinking young whiskey, young single malt whiskey, but I think what's what's changed is the quality of young whiskey actually is now much, much better, and I think that's because people understand the dynamics of what's happening in the cask a lot better. Uh, I think we can thank, you know, the guys at Herrick Watt and other places for, for that. They understand the science behind it. So, you know, just shoving something in a cask for 20 years and forgetting about it. Um, whilst it sounds quite romantic, there's, there's probably um, a, a limited amount of time where, there's, where anything significant is happening and therefore you may well be that using several different casks is going to give you a much uh, better whiskey in, 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 in the shorter time. So, uh, you know, as I go, go back you know, 30 years, I probably would have not not considered a, a young whiskey, whereas now people can make whiskey which is young, which is actually uh, really, really good and really drinkable. And it's no coincidence that if you look at what the the sales trends are, uh, the vast majority of the growth in the UK, certainly in single malt, is in non-age declared whiskey. Um, there's a number of reasons for that, which you know, I'm sure most people know, but probably the main one is it allows the distillers to balance their um their their um, stall profile, uh, so so the average age of that whiskey could be you know five years, um, and then another time it could be ten years, it could be you know more than that, um, and obviously uses the skill of the of the blender's palate to bring the whiskey back to a consistent taste, which is you know I think you know, sadly the, the blender's art has been somewhat devalued in some mm-hmm. some eyes over the years, and it's great to see that what's happening with non-age declared whiskey, you know, the statement of whiskey is that that blender's palate, the skill, amazing skill of some of these people like, you know, Richard Patterson, Bob Dargana and so on, you know, are being able to, are being utilized and, and to create fantastic whiskies and, and therefore the age is really not all that important. It's about you know, how good the whiskey is and how it tastes. And I think most people, if they can just put to one side the age for a minute and, um, and actually just 
concentrate on the whiskey will find it's great. So obviously, you know, uh, <laughs> you can tell from what I'm saying, we believe that we can create a really, really good whiskey um, at a relatively early age. And there's lots of good examples of that, and particularly some of these new younger distilleries, um, you know, that uh, that are going around just now uh, are creating some fantastic whiskey um, at a, a relatively early age. And we're confident that we can do that. I think also, um, you know, we, we were given lots of advice by some of the stalwarts of the industry and you know one of the great things about scotch whiskey is it's very collaborative even you know from people who are you know um, in essence um, competitors are uh, are happy to share insights and knowledge and thoughts and uh, you know we, we do that too um you know because what goes around comes around so you know we, we we're doing our bit to help other people as they get started um and and we've been given some some great advice by by you know, some people who who know, know a lot about it um and, and you know and therefore you know probably the best piece of advice we, we got was to you know think about what whiskey you're wanting to create you know before you even put it into the cask, you know. Uh, so I think probably maybe, you know, 30 years ago, people just shoved the whiskey in the cask and kind of hoped for the best, you know, and then, you know, 10 years on, they could give it a touch on the tiller if it wasn't quite right. Nowadays, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking, you know, what's, you know, what is this whiskey going to be when it comes out? So you might fill a lower ABV or a higher ABV, depending on what your plan for that particular whiskey is. You put it into a certain type of wood or a, a second fill or you know, whatever it might be, um, depending on what you want that whiskey to turn out like. So we've, we've got a, a plan for every single drop of our whiskey that goes out um, at least 10 years and some of it actually going out as far as 30 years. So we know which cask we're going to be aging for 30 years and which cask we're going to be aging for less. So which is kind of exciting. I'm not saying that we will um, not deviate from that plan ever, but yeah. I think it's good to have a plan that also allows you to buy your wood um, in a in an organized fashion. Uh, as you probably you know will be aware, uh, there's a lot of competition for good quality wood. You know, some of the big guys have got long contracts. I know when I was at White and Mackay, we had you know contracts with people who were over a hundred years long, which is you know it's a pretty long supply contract. Yeah. Um, you know, and therefore uh, you know, the, the new guys, uh, new kids in the boat, have to be a little bit more canny and uh, and maybe you know look look slightly different places for for our wood. And uh, I'm happy to say we've done pretty well. We've got some really interesting stuff from, you <coughs> know, from from literally all around the world. You know, New Zealand and Australia, um, um, USA, obviously with bourbon uh, and actually other other uh, wood, not just bourbon. Uh, so uh, we've got um, we've got some interesting uh, wood in our portfolio already. We've got a facility down in Granton, which is our. Um, Task warehousing. I think when we spoke originally, we had just one unit down there. We've now got three, uh, and we took delivery uh, last week of a of a, of a um, filling line, bottling line, uh, which will be installed, uh, which will allow us to do our independent bottlings now, and obviously bottle our own stuff in the future. So that's kind of exciting. We do gin as well, so that that will obviously give us the flexibility to bottle our, our gin that we produced uh, as well. Yeah. So. Uh, so we will basically be able to do everything from from obviously producing the whiskey to to um, warehousing it and obviously bottling it all all ourselves in house, uh, which is which is kind of nice as well. But, I mean, when did you so you finished construction? You said uh, December last year. Yeah, and then yeah, your so first 
for Spirit Run would have been uh, early 2020. Yeah, it was. So essentially what happened, uh, the, the, the building is especially split to two, two phases. Phase one, obviously, the priority was to get the distillery up and running, and that's what we that's what we focused on. And that was really, the distillery uh, was complete, I guess, at the end of December 2019. Uh, and we have been doing some commissioning work, obviously. So, you know, it's fair to say Spirit, you know, in a trial format was coming off the still at the start of this year. Um, we had to wait till we got the full permissions from HMRC before we could swing into production uh, and start filling casks, which obviously yeah, we, we got and uh, we're now filling casks. So yeah, you, you could see that we, you know, first spirit you know, on the still was actually um, at the start of this year. And, and thereafter, uh, we've been phasing, phasing in and uh, you know, the, the commissioning um, is, is completed. Uh, completed now when we are in full well we would be in full production mode if it weren't for some of the lockdown things that are um, affecting slightly um, what we what we're able to do you know safely so that's all. yeah and 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 how how is the current situation affecting what you're able to do David yeah yeah but it's, it's kind of frustrating obviously we've been waiting so long to yeah whiskey, and we just got to a point where we could really put the pedal to the metal and and yeah. now this has come along but obviously it's it's important that we keep everyone safe so we've uh, making whiskey uh, thankfully isn't hugely labor intensive so it's relatively easy to keep people uh, well apart uh, also the way we have constructed the distil- distillery is that we have got a a mezzanine deck which is where most of the controls are um it's it's not hugely automated it's 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 automated enough but but um it's still relatively manual certainly a lot more manual than maybe some of the big distilleries that i've been used to in other parts of my career um which is nice because it feels very kind of hands-on and, uh, and and crafted um so so we're basically we've got uh, you know an operator on the top deck another one on the bottom and then and then <laughs> me in the filling uh, in, in another part of the building altogether uh, filling casts. so you know it's relatively easy to keep well apart from each other and, and that's what we're doing but we're we're operating on on half the number of shifts that we would otherwise do um just to keep everyone um safe and uh to kind of manage the, the, the staff that we've got and obviously give us a little bit of cover if people have to self-quarantine and things like that so but it's good that we're still able to take over um <laughs> I'm always trying to look for a positive in it. I guess those early casts will be all the more valuable because there'll be fewer of them. Uh, we are actually doing uh, some private sales of, of, of these, but um, you know we, we don't have an awful lot of them, so uh, we are they're, they're re- relatively uh, short supply at the moment. But uh, we, we, we yeah. thought it was appropriate that we let uh, a few people um, in in on this. So that's what we're that's what we're going to do in the next the next week or so. Well, it's certainly an interesting time to launch a new distillery. <laughs> I know. As you say, the casks will be remembered for well for various reasons. <laughs> <laughs> they will. Somebody somebody suggests we call them the COVID casks. I'm not sure about <laughs> that. <laughs> but uh, but uh, anyway, uh, yeah, they were certainly born uh, in, in uh, a crucible of uh, uh, uncertainty. That's that's for sure. But you know, the thing about whiskey is um, you know, it's, it's a long game. It's you know, it's it's a, it's a long game and. Uh, uh, you have to take a long-term view on things. So, in the 
same way we're looking at the current hiatus and thinking, well, you know, it is terrible what's going on right now, but uh, it will pass. And, you know, by the time that whiskey is, you know, that spirit is legally whiskey, um, I'm, I would like to think we're well and truly past this. Yeah. And it's just a, a distant um, and unpleasant memory. Uh, and we can we can all get back to enjoying a drama or two. Uh, so, yeah, three, three years from now, um, maybe we will be able to enjoy some of some of this uh, these early casks, and uh, we'll, you know, we, we, we look forward to tr- trying trying some of it with you. For head distiller Mark Watson, distilling in the time of coronavirus brings its own challenges, but also the opportunity to refine the new distillery's processes and tackle any teething issues. I caught up with him on a not very good mobile phone signal to find out more about how things were going. So, uh, well, I suppose as of this recording, uh, we're um, currently uh, in the midst of the COVID-19 um, pandemic that's uh, sort of taken over our lives. Um, at the distillery, we're, we're still producing on a much smaller scale uh, and, and completely reined back um, in terms of, of our normal production size and efficiency, and, and that primarily due to one so that we can limit the amount of staff and do the stuff that are in can work, um, you know, in a in a safer, more spread out manner. I think um, you know we're, you know, we've just opened the distillery. Uh, we just uh, we got a license on the sixteenth uh, of of March the year. Um, uh, we uh, filled our first casks. Um, last week, uh, I think the wider business here as a whole would li- like us to continue to, to produce some more um, until we're until we're told to officially uh, close down the site. But then, in order to that, we want to operate in just as safest possible way, and you know that means reducing the amount of staff that are actually on site um, and making sure that they're they're spread apart, far enough apart, and that they've got you know we've increased the uh, hygiene. Increase the hygiene. We've put together more uh, hygiene stations in the distillery rather than just in the normal spots, just to, to make sure that we can continue to operate. I, mean, I don't think it will last forever, um, but it's certainly you know certainly from the point of view, and and um, that they want to, to 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 run the plant a little bit longer uh, before we completely shut down and drain down the entire distillery. Yeah, well, it's quite quite a time to be to be uh, running stills for the first time. What, how how is that side of things going uh, at the moment? The distillery side of things. Um, yeah, so we finished commissioning uh, probably about the the end of February, and we worked through the, the last of our commissioning things. Like any builds, the snagging that needs to be done, and we've tried to highlight during the commissioning as much of that as possible. Um, uh, but the, there's little bits and pieces that that rear their heads, and um, uh, you know, last uh, yesterday I had to fix an airline, and then there was a, a um, an airlock in one of the lines, and when you've got over two kilometres worth of pipe work going through the entire place, it's um, and it's all brand new. You have to make sure everything's tightened up and stuff. So the commissioning period, I mean, it was it was fantastic. We had incredible support from um, the. Uh, 
the install guys uh, from LH Stainless, who we used for the uh, mechanical install, and uh, Curtain Controls did the electrical install, and we were supported by Alan Associates, who are the process design engineers who actually put all the distillery together with myself on how, how it's going to function, how it's going to operate, and did all the design work for the distillery uh, based on our specifications of what we kind of wanted to produce and, and how we wanted to produce and how long we had and uh, during each day and, and put it all together. So um, there's uh, I, on the mashing today, uh, something didn't quite work uh, in the mashing, uh, which meant that we were a couple of thousand litres of water short in the, in the system, uh, but we could manually top that up so it wasn't too much of an issue but there's all these little bits and pieces that yeah. kind of come together on such a big complex bit of equipment and i'm very lucky that i have incredible staff um who not only flag these up and and i can help them but um uh, know their way around the equipment so that they can make sure that they've got the right amount of water in at the end and they could reset it all so we can mash tomorrow without an issue and then they got in touch with uh, the people they needed to get in touch with just to ask some questions for additional support from from curtain controls to make sure that tomorrow's was a bit smoother. But all these things like they take a little bit of time, and I and I, um, it's it's nice to see because every time we do something, and every time uh, something like that happens, and we have to think on our feet very quickly or something, it's just another learning experience for us, so that we now know we can mash fully manually if we needed to. There's not a need for us to use the programs if we don't have to. We can mash manually. We can reset things. So um, it's been an experience. It's been tiring. I think uh, one week, um, all four of us in the distillery, uh, well, five of us in total, um, we did uh, 12-hour days, five days in a row, so we could mash and distill and just there was loads of little problems that kept coming up and we could fix them but it, it was really good fun to do it as a team and it was really good fun for them to learn the equipment hands-on as opposed to just inheriting the equipment as it's running and working and, per- and perfect if you see what i mean yeah absolutely getting to know it from the very beginning and you know yes. getting to really understand yes. it i suppose yeah, very it's a it's a very nice feeling um, i've i've worked at a couple of distilleries two or three distilleries in the past and uh, it's always felt like somebody else's power tools. Um, you know, it always feels like you're in somebody else's shed. And yeah. there's obviously this is, you know, um, David and I's labor of love from the very beginning <laughs> that we've put all this together ourselves and together. Um, and uh, it feels really nice to, to, to just look at it and know, and know that it's to our specifications and to what we want to make. Yeah. And so give us an overview then, Mark, of the, the setup in the distillery. Uh, what, what's what's the, the production setup? Uh, so it's a two-ton master. Uh, we're probably capable of just producing just under half a million litres of alcohol a year uh, based on the shift patterns and the stuff we do. Um, it's, a, it's a semi-lotter, a two-and-a-half tonne. It's stainless steel. Um, what we'll probably do uh, for our distilling season, we'll do a couple of different campaigns as well. Uh, we'll do some unpeated malt, some pale malt for the predominantly for the for the most part of the year. And then uh, we were very lucky during this time. Uh, we actually have the Chain Pier Distillery together. Uh, we built that in in Granton, which is in our warehouse, and and we've been very lucky where we've been able to use that as a pilot kit. It, it only made a cask a week. But it allowed 
kudos to you, which is it's a, it was a massive labor-intensive progress process to get just one cask a week, but it allowed us to uh, play with our malt and uh, play with our malt specification, and then allowed us to look at um, the amount of peat that we wanted to put in for our peated campaign um, because we wanted to. Um, uh, put in, we, we actually started off with quite a low level of peat, uh, which we really liked, um, but it just didn't go far enough. And I feel like, uh, you know, if we don't have it and it's not in the warehouse, then we can't use it. So we ended up going higher and higher in terms of PPM. And I think we're now, you know, for this year's campaign that we've locked in for August, which is really nice. So it'll be peated in August. Um, we'll be uh, running uh, 50 ppm for the peated stu- uh, malt, but it won't be for very long. I think we're only doing it for about six weeks at the moment. Okay. Um, so that's the mashing setup. It's um, it's semi-automatic. I mean, the only thing that uh, it's all very much valve-driven and, and uh, operator-driven. Uh, the only thing that you kind of use the HMI for, the computer for, is to make sure all your water is lined up in the right place so the water's coming into the mash tun at the right time. But as I've already alluded to, today that didn't happen, so it's fully manual today, yeah. uh, uh, which is great. It's wonderful to see the equipment is flexible to do that. And, um, you know, my, my distillers um, are able to use it in that way and, and can really go back to a traditional style of mashing without using the HMI. So that sort of leads us on to uh, the washbacks. We've got six stainless steel washbacks. They're um, they're fourteen and a half thousand liters, which is their you know what you can fill them to. But we only put ten thousand liters in there, so we have the extra four and a half. So we can let the yeast and the fermentations go really well. To, um, uh, we don't have switches in them, so we need that headspace. Otherwise, it would be flown out the roof. I think um, if we didn't have it, so. Um, and then fermentation lengths, uh, what we tend to do is we have um, four, four, lo- uh, four short and two long at the moment, and those two long ones are just the ones that we catch over the weekend. Um, and so when by the time we come in on a Monday, there are long distillations, uh, our long fermentations, and those distillations are, are kept separate. And that's the really nice thing about it. So when we move down into the still, uh, the still setup, um, we've uh, we've got. Uh, the 10,500 litre wash still and then an 8,000 litre spirit still and their OG or onion in shape um, you know they don't have a boil ball in them um, they, and they've, they've got descending line arms. I know that everybody likes to know these things I'm sure when the pictures are attached uh, or if we can get some pictures then you can kind of understand uh, what, I'm, what I'm talking about with in terms of the shape and the design of the still. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's uh, it's a shallow tube condenser, and then we have the spirit safe right in the middle of the both of them, and you kind of walk under uh, the line arms. The line arms sort of create two circles side by side, and you kind of walk underneath them, and it, it's a really nice feeling to be in there. One, the stills are hot, so that when you're in that, it just feels like a like a warm embrace when you're stood at the spirit safe. Um, uh, but we've tried to sort of, of make it so that it's it's like a, a, an altar, if you will, right in the middle to, to whiskey. Um, and, nice. and some really nice things that we've kind of put in and added in, and this is one of the things that we've kind of figured out from uh, uh, doing the distillations down in Granton, is that we actually had two, rece- two spirit receivers, two ISRs in Granton. And um, we could do a high cut and a low cut off the same run. So uh, what what you would normally find in one distillery is you would take the the 
you know, the, the spirit character you'd get and you'd get one cut and you would do that one day's production would do one cut and maybe when you were going through a different campaign you would maybe change the cut points on it so yeah, yeah some good examples is some highly distilleries run you know down below 60 percent on the long cuts and then some space lines islands cut as high as 67 so there's there's that extra bit of liquid that we can that we like that we want to keep in there and instead of just doing one long cut that captures all of that we can actually split it into two separate cuts and get two separate flavor point uh, profiles from one distillation and that kind of flows through into the filling room because we have two separate tanks in the filling room so we can keep them separate then um for our first runs we've actually been uh, mixing them together and creating just one stable new make if you will the high cut and low cut put together and creating one new make but going forward in the campaigns and going forward into um, you know how when we get to the crux of what we think the Bonington distillery character is where we want it uh, we'll be able to really define those cuts and take a high cut and a low cut and do something very different with our spirit um, yeah that, that's that's the still house and the mash house and the still house yeah. to so, so is, um, is that character still a, a work in prog- progress then, Mark? Uh, well, I think the facility has been designed around uh, the character that we kind of want to create. Um, uh, you know, we want something uh, that interfaces really well with the wood, but is malleable. Um, you know, I think we're looking for, in the silk of our stills and the run of our line arms, we're looking for something that's heavier and oilier. Uh, packed with uh, dark fruit, caramel, and pure scotch, and I think that that's where we're trying to drive in too. Um, I'd be remiss to say that uh, ginger is one of our key spices that we want to pull into the spirit, um, and that's you know one. It goes back to our history of parties and the fact that ginger being so inherently linked to us, but uh, we also think it's such a lovely flavour to carry through into our new make. So. Um, yeah, that tastes uh, all dark fruits and spice, caramel and butterscotch. And um, we're getting some of those things right now. Uh, we're getting the ginger and the spice. Uh, we've got the dark fruits, but we're trying to build up the caramel and we're trying to do that through our fermentation, through our yeast, all the way through the plant. Uh, we've got to build up our low winds and things as well. We've got to build up those flavours. And then what we'll do then is, pardon me, when we get to the right point, we'll, we'll lock in our spirit character here. Yeah. yeah, okay. Um, and, in, and then in terms of the casks that you're filling at the moment, what, what, what are you concentrating on there? So it's, it's, a, it's a really big question. We sort of have this, because um, we've got those uh, this two different types of um, uh, new mate coming off the stills, uh, we have to be kind of careful with our selection and we also have to uh, understand that we'd like to release really good whiskey early. And so we kind of split two separate categories at that point. Um, we Our new make runs off the still about 71%. And for our spirit that is destined for long-term maturation, we we don't really adjust that. We don't bring it down to, to 63 and a half. Um, and we just leave it at 71% uh, and it goes straight to the cask without any um, alterations. Uh, and then for our our outturns that we know are going to come out younger and earlier. Uh, we're actually looking to, to fill casts a bit lower. We fill casts from 59 all the way up to 63.5. So we've kind of taken a, um, 
a leaflet of uh, the bourbon and American uh, producers who fell into cast a lot lower and that they're pulling flavours that um, uh, are, are a lot more mature and a lot different earlier and we're looking to replicate that now uh, our casks are um, I've, I'll be honest I'm, I'm absolutely open uh, um, about everything and uh, you know if, if anybody would like to know more then, then please do get in touch and uh, uh, Richard because if there's any questions or anything I, I, I'm happy to share it I'm happy to talk talk to Botham about how we do it what we do it and more importantly why we put stuff yeah. uh, away for, for a length of time so uh, for our casks um, we use uh, first of all bourbon we use American whiskey as well, which is a like a large part of ours. We use you know probably about fifty percent first of all bourbon, fifty percent American whiskey. So they're about five year old American whiskey casks, um, but they have some incredible oily butterscotch flavors in them uh, that we absolutely adore. We use uh, some virgin oak. American virgin oak, and uh, then we had a really good list of uh, so these really interesting things where David and I have, have always uh, felt and chatted with. Um, we don't feel beholden to Krabby and John Krabby, and we've got his entire archive. Uh, we've got all his tasting notes. We've got every cask he ever bought and every cask he ever made when he was at North British and his other distilleries. Uh, you know, he had one in Haddington and he had one uh, down in, in Leith as well. He had other distilleries there. So we, had, we have all those records. Um, but we wanted to, we want to, we don't want, we're not beholden to what he's bought and what he's made. I mean, times have changed, flavour profiles have changed. But what we do want to do is, is, um, look at some of the wood that he purchased uh, back then and, and uh, see if we can and look at the reasons why he was purchasing it and uh, put together like a, a package for what predominantly then was uh, all sweet wine and all sherry finishes. So he bought sherry, marsala, uh, port, um, tawny port, ruby port, a lot of Australian uh, sweet wines as well. And what we've tried to do is incorporate that into our um, our wood policy and our profile, uh, and really integrate them in nice and early. Um, uh, so we're going to be doing long term maturation in, in sherry casks and, and uh, Oloroso PX, and um, we've got some lovely rib salt uh, casks, uh, Pinot de Chiron. Um, and some really interesting, uh, you know, French sweet wines as well that we that we've found in the archives. Um, so it's really exciting. I mean, it's a massive part of, of my life is, is putting the and selecting the casks for for our plan going forward. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's absolutely incredible. Not only for the plant to be distilling, for the distillery to actually have some life into it and be creating stuff, but for us to be now filling casks there as well. Um, so yeah, we fill at different ABVs, but we fill for uh, and those within those different fill ABVs are our plans for the future. I think you know, David and I have sit down. We've got a like a plan that goes all the way up to to eighteen years at the moment in terms of what we want to out uh, out turn and when and what we want that to taste like and, and how we want it to and what what casks it was it needs to go in and 
I think once you know we're we're clear with that. So once we get the spirit to the character that we're really looking for, really locked in, that plan will be locked in, and we'll, we'll be really happy for that for our for what we want for the Bonington Distillery. Yeah, but when you talk about early releases, what you, what do you mean by that? How early? Uh, uh, early. Um, it's a great question. I, I think. Um, uh, I think we'd probably release, uh, you know, within five years of, of the spirit coming of age. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't think we're under any pressure to release it at three, but I think, uh, you know, it's really nice for us to have in our head that, you know, we will want incredible spirit, you know, within five years. Um, and that lights the fire within me to make sure that, uh, you know, the, the, the character is right, uh, the cast are right, and the maturation is going well. And I, I work really closely with our maturation, uh, our warehousing manager, to, to make sure that everything lines up for the right time yeah. with that going forward. Um, so, uh, you know, I'd like to see us release something early and, and something extremely, you know, tasty and, and wonderful early. I don't, I don't think right now we're um, under any pressure to get out something that wouldn't be right for us. It would have to be right and it would have to be amazing. And I think that that, you know, is our... Um, our focus um, for our early releases, but I think we've always got to have an eye towards um, keeping stock for later releases and uh, for much later releases. Sure. Well, it sounds like a fascinating, fascinating setup. I look forward to to seeing it in its uh, finished form. Having seen it as an empty shell a couple of years ago, uh, unfortunately, I can't go over there anytime soon. But uh, hopefully, not too long in the future. Yeah, I know, and it's um, it's it's uh, it's got its, its pluses and negatives. This because obviously we're David and I are so ready to show it off, um, and uh, so ready to 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 display how amazing one the the build has come on and, and to what we're producing. Yeah. Uh, but the other the other side of the coin of that is it's it's really nice for me to to. Um, actually work out all these little you know eccentricities of the distillery itself uh, work out uh, you know get the, the character locked in and it's actually given us that little bit of time um, to put it all together without um, without the worry of people coming around and and uh, and, um, and and showcasing so uh, well it's it's our proud <laughs> it's our proud achievement and we can't wait for people to be coming around and having a look at it and, and seeing the cast and tasting uh, our liquid, it's also given us a really nice opportunity to really polish up the bits that, that we needed to and, and uh, to sort of let us plan for the future in a, in a really nice, uh, really nice organic way. Yeah, well, you certainly got some peace and quiet in the current environment, so uh, good, good to hear you're putting it to good use. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. I think we've got to maintain, you know, if we've got this time and we've got this uh, space and I really, you know, I want us to really take full advantage of it in, in the nicest possible way. You know, I want it to to um, to show, you know, when we're ready and when we're ready to take people around, really showcase it at, at its best. We look forward to paying a visit once we emerge from lockdown and wish everyone at the Bonington Distillery well in the meantime. That's all from this issue of Whiskey Talk but you can keep up to date with everything that's happening at the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society and get much more whiskey news in our virtual members room at smws.com. Until the next time, stay safe and cheers. Cheers.